2021 to everybody hopefully uh we're all kind of uh you know a little less numb hoping to uh get these vaccines out there and you know they're saying by summer tim right summer yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, we, should, yeah. we should we should all be kind of uh out of this thing it should be a, a an increasingly better spring have a sh- we should all have a shot at something particularly if they in fact go th- go go through with this suggested new dynamic of just pushing it all out and yeah. then second shot comes when second shot comes. My little brother, one of my little brothers, ironically, my brother Charles, who doesn't actually, for years and years and years, worked in patient care and social services and, and, and was actually engaged with patients. Doesn't do that anymore. But nevertheless, he got his first uh, dose of uh, the Pfizer. I guess it's Pfizer. Is that right, it? right. That's the uh, I get would be. And, um, you know, nothing, no pain or anything like that. And good. And uh, so he's, he's taking care of. This is a big deal in my family because Charles is the you know one of my brothers and sisters and I who constantly uh, goes to see my mother. Yeah. Uh, my mother retired from work but she's at home and uh and Charles sister he and my in my in my in my niece are the ones that are you know in and out of my mother's apartment. Uh and now now that he's got one and we'll get the other it really cuts down significantly on the possibility of uh my other brother uh quit going to my mom's uh because he yeah. he, he actually works in patient care. And, uh, and, uh, so, you know, Charles, uh, I mean, and, and I've, you know, I, I, I know Charles too. And, uh, you know, Charles, when I spoke to him, uh, he, he was telling me about, uh, you know, he's, he's out there bringing people their meds and he's in the world. He's out there yeah, with, you yeah. know, moving around and, and, uh, that's, you know, that's frontline. Yeah. You know, so, you know, anyway, it's, 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 it's a thing. Um, uh, so us, we, we film critics here in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's yeah. funny. My actor friends. And look, I love my actor friends, but um, uh, I'm not sure that the cast of The Young and the Restless <laughs> are really going to yeah. be high <laughs> up on that list. I love you guys. I love you. Uh, but I'm thinking I'm thinking maybe we ought to knock out, I don't know, uh, cops or something first. So actors in Hollywood, all very complicated to figure out right now, man. Very complicated. Well, we're going to get out of it. Um, one person who did not get out of it, but did not die of COVID, just passed naturally, unfortunately, recently, was Michael Apted. Oh. We lost the great Michael Apted just about a month and three days shy of his 80th birthday. Um, one of just the classiest generation of filmmakers ever. Uh, Tim and I, before the show, were talking about stuff. Yeah, there's some stuff in there that we could pick on. But if you look at the stuff that we we don't want to pick on, I mean, there's everything from Coal Miner's Daughter to... Uh, Gorillas in the Mist. I mean, a lot of Oscar-nominated stuff. Bond film, The World is Not Enough. Mm. And, of, and of course, most famously, The Up series. The Up series, uh, to which I think we calculated he had made his way up to 56 or so up. Yeah, I see it there, 56 up. Um, the Up series, of course, uh, 63 up, um, uh, uh, actually, is, is where it got to wait. Uh, 20, Gee, 20, 2019 was 63 up. Wow. I uh, started when these children um, from different classes and backgrounds and ethnic groups in, 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 in the UK and England were uh, seven years old. Um, most of them, not all of them, but most of them have stayed with the series uh, over these many years. 
Um, uh, and uh, it has been fascinating. The series has taken some, took some criticism uh, re- regarding some things. And I loved that what Michael Apted did is he took the criticisms that the series was receiving and he put it in the series. Uh, I love it. That's wonderful. That's a true filmmaker or a true documentarian. You know, and, and hey, he knocked out everything from Ray Donovan's. <laughs> you know, I mean, he. Yeah. it's not like he ever went away. Um, uh, Mike Lapted in a real old school from, from the, literally from the old school of British uh, filmmaking, BBC and all that. It's uh, it's where his roots are from. And uh, yeah, uh, Mike Lapted. He even did a Chronicles of Narnia movie. Yeah. He did the, I, forgot about I mean, that. yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, I, I mean, you look at this and it, I'm just looking at the years. It's I mean, he's working uh, pretty much every other year or every year. 72, 74, 75, 77, 79, 80, 81, 83, 84, 85, 87, 88, 91. He took off three years there, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then 92 movies in 92, including Incident of Aglala and Thunderheart. Mm-hmm. Um, 30, in 93, two movies in 94, uh, 96. Then, three, you know, he took off three years and did two movies in 99. I mean, these aren't even the documentaries. This yeah. is just, he never, ever stopped working. And, you know, I... I never met Michael Apted. I never interviewed him, but I sat next to him once on a curb on the Fourth of July, <laughs> preparing preparing for the uh, for a Fourth of July ten k race, and I was sitting on a curb right in front of the porta potties, lacing up my shoes, and I looked next to me, and there's Michael Apted lacing up his shoes, and <laughs> and I and I thought, wow, this is really cool, like. I don't know what this means. I don't know if this even means anything, but it's really, really cool. I'm right next to Michael Apted, and I'm probably never going to see him again. But oh, I, I hope he, I hope he has a good race. And that was it. That was it. Uh, it was just, it was, a, it was a funny one of those funny surreal moments in life. Well, the jogging probably is what kept him going, to, going to damn near eighty. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, yeah, you look, Michael Apted. That, that range, it's that range, that range of stuff. Uh, enough. I forgot he did that. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's yeah, it's just that's that you don't see that one anymore. You don't see that kind of stuff anymore. Uh, and, and yeah, well, you can poke at some of them. We poked at Nell. We poked at its extreme measures. But you know what? He made Nell, <laughs> and he made extreme measures. I know. Uh, you and, know, and, so, you know, yeah, and for you and you know what? Firstborn from 1984, a movie which has gotten a, a lot of a lot of uh, flack. But I really like Firstborn with Peter Weller as that psychotic, mm-hmm. you know, stepdad character. I mean, it's it's pulpy, and frankly, I don't think if Peter Weller, uh, I don't think he would have been Robocop if he hadn't have been in Firstborn. Yeah. So you know, um, well, one of those movies we're poking at a little bit. It just also happens to be recently on Blu-ray, and um, it's been on our on our list to cover for a few weeks. So we're going to cover it right now, and that is the Lawrence Kasdan scripted Continental Divide, starring John Belushi and Blair Brown from 1981. This was the movie that he made the year after Coal Miner's Daughter. Yeah, I can understand. So <laughs> you just you just directed Sissy Spacek to an Oscar. Michael Apted, what are you going to do next? Well, I'm going to try to make John Belushi into a matinee idol. <laughs> I, I don't know, Tim. I don't know. know. I don't. Yeah, and it's not like it's in, like you said. Lawrence Kasdan wrote that movie, and yeah. um, uh, and, and 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 oddly, this is this is this is the thing about. Con- a continental divide. This is not a. This is not in any way, shape, or form a good movie. It failed at the box office at the time. Um, uh, uh, for like, but you watch this movie, and there are moments in this movie. Alan Garfield's in this movie. Blair Brown's in the movie. Where you, I remember those moments from this movie. 
Um, so yeah. I, I suppose that says something about it that, you know, 40, almost 40 years um, um, uh, after its, uh, you know, failure, it still carved itself into my, <laughs> into my psyche in certain sort of ways. It is a strange kind of romantic comedy from a period that had a lot of strange romantic comedies, but this is definitely one of the more peculiar ones. And part of it is that Belushi and Blair Brown are just terribly mismatched in oh, this movie. They're, wrong, just, yeah. they're, they're both kind of wrong, but they're both of the moment, right? I mean, he had made Animal House, and she she was kind of, you know, just on the verge of whatever that TV show she was. and she'd been Oh, in Days and States. Nights of Molly Dodd. There it is, Molly. Yeah. I knew you'd remember, and I didn't. Um, you know, and she had done altered states and and got you know some some heat out of that. So, uh, you know, I mean, we forget John Bailey, recently president of the Academy, was the DP on this. Steven Spielberg and and super agent Bernie Brillstein were executive producers. I mean, this is very much a moment movie, right? It, yeah. Like, why would Michael Apted say, "Nah, I'm going to turn down Lawrence Kasdan and Steven Spielberg"? Why would you do that? Yeah, you just. But it is it is a strange movie, but nonetheless. Uh, the pre-Michael Apted passing audio commentary by uh, Daniel Kramer and uh, film historian Nat Segaloff is very interesting. It's got a lot of little uh, little weird anecdotes that kind of explain why the film and what went wrong and whatnot. And it is on Blu-ray from uh, Kino Lorber. Uh, so with that little tribute, uh, Tim, let's let's uh, you know what, uh, let me let me make mention real quickly of a couple of 4K uh, 4K UHD Blu-rays that are out now. Uh, one of which I, I can recommend, the other of which, I don't know, Tim, maybe you, you have a, a preference on this. Then I'll have a couple of giveaways, too. Uh, Love and Monsters with Dylan O'Brien. Did you see this? Yeah, I don't think that that one made my film week list. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it is awfully, awfully peculiar as to why this is even on 4K. It's from, it's from Paramount, who's being very aggressive in putting stuff on 4K. But, um... I I just don't know what they thought they would get out of this. I'm not sure really what the point of the movie was. Anyway, it, I mean it's it's basically um, it basically goes into that uh, zombie land category. I guess I, I I'm not overly familiar with Dylan O'Brien. I guess he's some kind of something that I should care about. He was in the Maze Runner. And, oh yeah, I remember that kid. Yeah, like monster. I mean, it's not a zombie film per se. It's a monster film, but monsters have taken over the world much as zombies would. And uh, so, you know, everybody's got to live underground. And and he's, you know, then then he finds the girl from high school, and you know, they've got to fight the. And Michael Rooker shows up, and it's like, okay, I mean, it, but it it really it feels like Zombieland as a vehicle for for a kid they're trying to turn into a star. I just don't get why they went full 4K on it. Anyway, it's perfectly fine. Um, it's got a bunch of, you know, extras, deleted scenes and featurette stuff on the, uh, on the second disc, but for 4k aficionados right now, I'm going to say the movie you really, really want to check out is blade ah. Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes is the, as probably the first legit Marvel hero that worked, uh, in this modern era, pre Marvel cinematic universe, pre MCU. Mm. But I think this was when they realized this was a new line thing. I think this is when they realized things were really, really going to, they were, they were really going to happen. Um, but at least they could make them happen if they got the right star and if they got all the right people involved and, and all that stuff. So, um, I, I think blade looks just kick-ass on 4k the um the, the 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 colors and the the shading and the darks it all just really comes together in this amazing vampire saga 
I am still a huge fan of this series. I think Stephen Dorff is a great heavy in this movie. Wesley Snipes has never been better. He's got the physicality, the martial arts skills, and he looks the part. It's a great film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they uh, well done. Uh, this David, David, David S. Goya, I think, uh, who I guess yeah. he, pinned, he pinned some Batman films, uh, some of those uh, earlier Batman films, anyway. Um, um, uh, so you know, uh, sort of like uh, working working in that genre. They are uh, pretty good. Um, uh, the the how do the the this particular blade at the end of it, it had all those big sort of special effects that came in. Stephen Dorff yeah. morphs into this. How does yeah, that hold well, up? Yeah, on you the, know it. It doesn't quite, but I'll tell you, it holds up better than all the stuff that Del Toro did in Blade Two. Um, ah! Blade Two, you know, I, I it, and that's the thing. Like Blade One, I think is a great movie. Blade Two is is a Del Toro movie with Blade awkwardly shoved into it. Yeah, like there are monsters and CG effects, and you're like, this isn't a Blade movie anymore. Like, like that's not a vampire. That looks like the Predator crossed with the alien, crossed with something else. Like you're really stretching <laughs> yeah, vampires here. You know, supposed to be vampires, man. It's like you know, mouths and teeth, and it just it it got a little out of control. But Blade Trinity, I love. I thought Blade Trinity was right back on track, and I know everybody else hates that movie. So what do I know? But um, no, you know, Chris Christopherson is great in this thing. I mean, I I just I really love it. Now here's the question: We're going to get an MCU reboot of Blade, yeah, with Mahershala Ali, yeah, Mahershala. Great actor, also yeah. looks the part. I didn't even, I didn't even, it, it didn't even dawn on me until he was announced, and I thought, you know, he kind of looks a little like Wesley Snipes. Yeah. So the big, they, I mean, it's good casting. Snipes looks exactly like the comic character, and I'm like, okay, I see where you, how you kind of triangulated that, but he's not a martial artist. Yeah. So what are we going to do there? And you know what the other problem is? Wesley Snipes. Looks exactly the same now as he did in nineteen ninety eight. Literally, he has the physicality now. He he actually still makes those those sort of chop sake movies all the time. You know, he's yeah. running around some movie kicking somebody in the head. Um, you put you, you, you in Frank in, in in given that he is uh, sure. Yeah, I'm not saying he looks exactly the same. He you know he's yes he has a couple of miles on him in terms of just you know that he's an older guy. But what the hell is wrong with that for the storyline? Yeah. Why wouldn't why you would why why not pick it up? Because Blade did age. Blade was only half vampire or part vampire. That's right. Whatever. Correct. Yeah. He, he he he. So if you if you want to redo Blade, uh, particularly if if it's going to be a you know a, a contemporarily set Blade, a, a, a Blade set present day, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I'm sorry. You just got to, Wesley Snipes is still a movie star. He can do anything you can write, and and I love Mahershala, but there's actually just no point to that. If you if we're gonna yeah. do it. Your blade is standing right over there. His name is Wesley Snipes. Well, there it is. It's got an audio commentary on. It's got a few other things. Uh, the commentary is a cast and crew thing, kind of all cut together. Some featurettes. Nothing uh, overly amazing, but you're getting it because you want to get the movies anywhere code uh, and pop that into your library, and you just want to watch Blade. And I hope, I hope, I hope they bring the uh, the rest of the trilogy out soon. We got a quick giveaway. Paramount's being very, very nice to our listeners. Uh, we're going to give away two 4Ks of Tom Cruise and Collateral. Two 4Ks of Tom Cruise and Collateral and two Blu-rays of the Godfather Coda, the recut Godfather 3. Uh, go ahead and send us emails to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Make sure that you put Cruise in the subject line if you want Collateral and put um godfather in the subject line if you want godfather coda cruise and godfather those are the two 
uh, and put your name and address in the body of the email. Make sure it gets to us by the 14th, by the, I'm sorry, not the 14th, the 24th, the 24th, um, January 24th. And uh, we will pick some winners on January 24th and then uh, make sure that uh, Paramount sends you some happy stuff. So, uh, and we'll let you know, we'll let you know on the 24th. So um, there is that. Uh, real quickly, got a few uh, little um, off titles here to make mention of. Some late coming Christmas stuff. It's after Christmas, but, you know, it's, it's worth making a mention of too. BBC has Charlie and Lola animated, that cool little animated show they do. Uh, how many more mistakes, how many more minutes until Christmas? And, um, this is the, uh, the, I mean, it's, it's, there's, that's just one of, uh, of seven different little, uh, episodes on here, but it's really, really fun. And, uh, you know, Charlie is broken. I completely know about Guinea pigs and, uh, I am extremely magic or some of the others on here. Uh, but anyway, it's a fun show. Charlie and Lola is a good little show. And then also want to put a special plug in for a, a good friend of mine who, uh, songwriter Michael McLean, who, uh, has performed a musical show that he has done for many, many years, the forgotten carols. It kind of roams around the Western States. And, uh, Michael performed at my, uh, played a, a beautiful, beautiful song at my mother's funeral. And they, it, during the pandemic, he obviously couldn't take the forgotten carols on tour. So he uh, he put it on to uh, they they basically did a performance and shot it and put it out on DVD and uh, I I do recommend that you go and check this out. Uh, it, it I don't know that it is necessarily it was in theaters in November in certain places where theaters were open, but otherwise uh, the Forgotten Carols is on DVD and uh, there will be a link on uh, the digigods.com site uh, that will take you to where you can purchase it. I'm not sure that it's necessarily on Amazon, but uh, where, where you can purchase it, I'll put a link there. But it is absolutely wonderful. It is in, it's an alternate way of looking at the Christmas story through the eyes and ears of, of all the other figures that were sort of peripheral to it. It's really, really a beautiful, beautiful thing, the Forgotten Carols. Uh, also, Michael Smirkonish, uh, Things I Wish I Knew Before I Started Talking. He, uh, he, if those who don't know, Michael Smirkonish is a is talk show host uh, and and kind is, of a political uh, prognosticator guy. Kind of, yeah. He's sort of, you know, he's sort of like a, he, he's not, you know, he, it's not like he's Jimmy Fallon or anything. Um, but he's been doing this for thirty years, and he um, he he kind of celebrated his thirtieth anniversary with a uh, pandemic one man performance, and uh, it's a it's a pretty interesting kind of time capsule worth checking out you know it he addresses our partisan divide and um everything that's sort of now uh really gets into it so it's it's a it's a it's very much a movie of the moment it's a, it's you know sort of a documentary performance piece but it's really worth checking out smircon is a very interesting guy has a lot of interesting observations and uh you know i would say if you want to kind of contextualize what's happening right now it's a good way to start and then a uh, quick little music note on the B-52s live at the Us Festival from September 3rd, 1982. Ooh. I remember this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I chose not to go to the Us Festival, even though all my friends were. What an idiot I was, because what a memory that would have been. This is terrific. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was in high school at the time. And, and I, look, I love me the B-52s. They, they still perform. They have aged well. The music rocks. I love the whole retro vibe that they do i still listen to uh, rock lobster when i run it just juices me up for that last mile so what can you say b52 is it live at the us festival tim big yeah. b52 fan i love the b52s the us festival i was too i was too young for woodstock 
60, yeah. I think I was 69. I've been like eight or something like that. Uh, yeah. uh, Us Festival, uh, 82. Let's see. I was stationed in, I think I was living in, I was stationed in Germany wow. <laughs> in 82. So no Us Festival for me. I just, you know, I, dude, I, over the course of the history of time, I just missed all the good crap. I just missed <laughs> all the really good shit. I was either too young or too old or too, yeah. What are you going to do? Sometimes you, sometimes you live your life right between the, oh, uh, well. Indeed. So uh, we got we got LGBT stuff, which uh, I think you got some things to talk about. We also have exploitation. You tell me, uh, should I hit the exploitation first or do you want to knock out? Uh, You you, uh, you go ahead and get started while I and then I'll. All right. First up is Panic, which is an exploitation movie from the 80s that they did an uh, HD restoration on uh, just a few years ago. Basically, a bacterial experiment goes wrong uh, in an English village, and you know you got monsters and gore, and everything goes to goes to hell. Uh, there's really no, <laughs> there's no, there's nothing uh, surprising in it. It's just a good, solid exploitation gore film uh, with all that '80s style, and the the, the remaster on for HD gives it uh, an extra pop to all the crimson red blood. Henry Silva and uh, Barbara Boucher. Gosh, Henry Silva. There's oh, a guy, wow. right? Yeah. What a face. That, that face. That chiseled. That chiseled face. Uh, Henry Silva and Barbara Boucher in the very, very cool and uh, exploitation sleazy Cry of a Prostitute. Uh, this also is a, is a nice little vintage thing that they did a restoration of just a few years ago. And um, it's, you know, uh, Henry Silva is the reason to watch this. It's, it's, it's really schlocky. And Henry Silva is working his butt off to, to overcome the fact that it's not terribly well made. But, um, you know, it's... It's it's fun from a, it wouldn't have been fun you know thirty years ago but it's kind of fun to watch now. Uh, just before dawn with George Kennedy and Chris Lemon of all people mm. um, and uh, the, uh, uh, Jack Lemon's son. Yes, Jack Lemon's son, who was briefly uh, I think he didn't he play Jack Lemon in in something at some point. I thought he played his dad anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting career, uh, Chris Lemon. There, uh, wonderful piano yeah. player, him. But you know, if, 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 anyway. Well, this is a slasher film. Uh, you know, five five people go out for you know weekend camping, and, and of course, you know they obviously have not seen Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or any other movie <laughs> where people where people go camping. Stop it! Stop going camping. It's a bad, bad uh. scene. And uh, you know, uh, uh, George Kennedy plays the uh, the forest ranger. Doesn't he always play something like that? Um, and uh, of course, everything goes south. It's you know just before dawn. Again, schlocky, fun to watch. Uh, Savage Streets is really, really only worth watching because it happens to have Linda Blair. Linda Blair went from making uh, The Exorcist to doing a whole lot of exploitation garbage. And the only reason to watch any of it is Linda Blair because she's Linda Blair. I mean, you know, uh, this has a lot of fun special features on it. The movie is Savage Streets. It's basically a revenge thriller. You know, uh, it's it's Death Wish with Linda Blair wearing a tight outfit and, and killing bad guys um but it's it's got some it's got some cool moments in it. it's got some interviews and uh three audio commentaries which is three more than it really needs but hey why not um second to last one here is the devil's wedding night starring mark damon who of course would go on to be a a uh, a rather big uh, kind of b movie uh, uh, uh distributor producer and distributor uh this is like a like a a, a basically a, a medieval vampire thing done in kind of a sub hammer style but um 
it's it's culty and it's weird and it's got some you know fun stuff in it. Direct it was made in Italy. It was uh, made by uh, uh, shot by Joe D'Amato and directed by Luigi Bazzella. Mm. So it's got all that. It's got that whole uh, you know giallo vibe to it as well, but with a little bit of American exploitation. And then here's the one, Tim. I want to bring up. Yeah. I want to know if you have ever seen this. I have never heard of this movie. Never heard of this movie. <laughs> you and I. I, it, honestly, <laughs> you you and I would cover the whole gamut of black exploitation film. I have never heard of this one. Have you ever heard of or seen the Black Gestapo? The Black Gestapo, dude. I I I, I have <laughs> the Black Gestapo. <laughs> oh my gosh! See, I in knew. A, in, I knew. In a terrible, terrible. Um, I I I, I suppose a uh, public domain. Uh, I'm going to give you the blue. I'm, I'm hanging on the Blu-ray for you. I'm going to I'm going to give you this Blu-ray so you can get rid of that public domain thing. This it, on Blu-ray. It, it, about about uh, 1975 or something like that. 76, 74, 75. Oh my gosh! Like yeah, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, this yeah. is this is a stone cold riot. I I could not believe that this movie got made. This is like this is like three the hard way on steroids. Um, it's like, dude, these sort of wild sort of references. You got to know, to like Marcus Garvey and all those kinds. Of, this guy that raises up this army in the hood, uh, you know, the, 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 the army, the, the people's army, the inner city army and stuff. I don't know what the hell they call it. Uh, and he sort of like models it on this whole sort of thing. And it's all sort of crazy. It all happens in Watts. <laughs> it, it, no, I mean, it is, it is fantastically fun to watch. It's fantastically fun to watch. Um, directed by Lee Frost, yeah. who was a who was a big exploitation guy. Directed, you know, a lot a lot of stuff in the '60s, and we talked a little bit about Lee Frost in in you know the Ray's Schlock documentary. And Lee Frost wrote this with Wes Bishop, but um, you know Charles Robinson, Rod Perry, yeah, uh, the People's Army, yeah, and and uh, I, I guess in some places where the title was sensitive, they released this as Ghetto Warriors. <laughs> yeah, not, that would happen I'm a not, lot. I'm not, but I'm not sure how Ghetto Warriors is much better than Black Gestapo. <laughs> so it's you know? so not. It's so not. Uh, it anyway. might be worse. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah man. Well, Black let Gestapo me tell you sure something. That one. Let me tell you. This is this is this is what's funny about you mentioning that you've got that 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 public domain thing, because here's what here's what it even has on the back of the of the Blu-ray. It's uh, it, it it sums up the movie. Uh, and then it says, throw away all those PD bootlegs and watch this classic <laughs> HD from the original camera negative. Uh, it got there you me. Go. So, it literally got me. It got oh, you. God. They figured uh, you out. Yeah, we know uh, you so watch anyway. it, bro. We know you are. <laughs> Uh, I'm telling you, bl the Black Gestapo is is just a whole lot of fun. I mean, it, it's it's it really is, and there is there is this whole class of films, uh, black exploitation and many of them exploitation as well, that all kind of traffic in the whole the Black Liberation moment about five or six years after it kind of peaked. And Three the Hard Way, I always thought was the best of them, and yeah. I think it still is. I think there's a lot of good stuff in that. Yeah. But um, but this is this is fun, and it's worth adding to the uh, to the to the compendium. All right. So with that, let's. Uh, I want to segue to the uh, LGBT stuff. Yeah, I got some LG, LBGT stuff here uh, that might be kind of interesting, including uh, the Goddess of Fortune, uh, which is a perfectly lovely little movie, actually. That I that I in fact did see. Uh, it's about this. It's about this couple. 
uh, and you know they're kind of kind of tinkering along, doing okay. Uh, and then they run into this other couple of Husky's kids, and the kids come to live with them. They're kind of left in their custody for a while. And it's about how ev- how the presence of those children changes everything about the dynamic of their relationship in some ways that they don't expect. The the husbands of the L- LGBT for for not LGBT for nothing. The husbands uh, are the ones who sort of develop an interesting uh, relationship there. And I thought that that was sort of an interesting sort of hook. Uh, on that, uh, there's one called No Hard Feelings. This is this is a fairly recent film too. That's a, again, it's just sort of like a lovely film set set in a sort of Iranian German family uh, at a refugee shelter, um, uh, and uh, they they just sort of like uh, these people start to, to develop these uh, these relationships. It's more about the refugee shelter and being sort of German Iranians in um, uh, refugees at this particular time than it is about, an, about anything else in, in particular. But uh, these sort of beautiful, lovely relationships do sort of develop um, uh, in these situations when people don't know, you know where they're going to be from one day to the next, who will be allowed to stay and who's going to get shipped back. So that's kind of a kind of a moving kind of thing. What is this one, Wade? A-V-I-V-A. Is that the... Is that the uh, oh, Aviva. 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 Is, is that the, that's that's a, the 1920, uh, the 2020 uh, film? Yeah, the, the, the Boaz Yakin film. Oh, that's a Boaz film. That's I don't know. A that. Boaz film. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's a, it, it's a, Boaz is such an interesting filmmaker. He's, he's been all over the map. He's made, you know, I mean, he, he sort of had, you know, Boaz kind of comes out of the Tarantino um group a little bit he you know lawrence bender was very much a a factor in getting boaz his career and you know he yeah. wrote the, the the rookie for clint eastwood charlie sheen right mm-hmm. uh that was kind of his big breakthrough and then he um what was the uh there was it was it was at can the film he wrote about the young black kid what was that he wrote and directed um oh, i know that movie yeah he did the, he did that one which is really quite powerful and didn't get enough traction and and so yeah, he's he's now come to um, this very unusual film called Aviva, which is uh, which which is kind of it's it's very explicit. It's got some rather interesting musical sequences in it, some dance sequences, and uh, it's it it centers all around a a an online romance between a Parisian and a, an American in New York who kind of um then consummate the relationship in person and uh it 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 goes into some really unexpected directions uh i don't want to kind of give anything away um but i uh the what's interesting about this is um what it what it's kind of uh, anticipates about gender and gender relationships and and the role of gender in relationships and uh it was reviewed on on film week i was not on that week claudia Mm. was Claudia is quoted on the uh, on the box, which I really think is really kind of cool, sexy and often daring. So um, I would refer you to that film week to hear what Claudia has to say about it. She had some really really great comments. But um, Aviva by Boaz Yakin, kind of uh, an interesting uh, addition uh, to the to the the whole genre, and that's why I set it aside for that. But yeah. Mm. Uh, I see. I think we have well, they call it El Principal, the Prince, uh, um, a, a 2019 Chilean film. Yeah, it's uh, really a very powerful movie. It's set. It's set in 1970 in in in, in this prison in in Chile, and in some ways it, w- it reminded me of what was that wonderful Raul Julia film, Kiss of the Spider, Kiss of the Spider, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Woman. Yeah, 
Um, uh, you're very reminiscent of Kiss of the Spider Woman in this film. Beautifully acted. Sebastian Munez, um, um, a production designer turned director. This, uh, this is uh, his directorial debut. Uh, and it's quite impressive. I don't, know, I don't know if it was the Chilean nomination for the Academy Award in 2019, but I do remember it. I remember it was a very, very good movie. And then uh, uh, lastly here, we've got Equation to an Unknown, which is um, some would possibly call this pornography. Uh, It splits the difference made in 1980. It is French. So some people would say, well, if it's French, it's automatically pornographic to begin. Well, with. if it's French um, in 1980, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know. Uh, but but it is it is it is an erotic film, uh, and this is from the original Cameron Negative. This is from Altered Innocence, who is at alteredinnocence.net. Altered Innocence is is a you know a a legit uh, you know, foreign language and uh, kind of um, art film distributor. So you know, I don't 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 dismiss the film based on some of the the more lurid descriptions of it that you you find online um it is uh it, it i think it gets if this were a straight film it probably wouldn't catch as much flack but in 1980 it definitely was pushing buttons because mm. it's a, it's 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 gay erotica trying to kind of moving into the mainstream but um equation to an unknown is the only film that was directed by the uh, the guy who directed it, um, whose name is uh, what is his name? I can't find his name here. But anyway, uh, and and that's it, it, he he shot it under under a pseudonym. That's the thing. Mm. So um, I don't know what his what his actual name was. But anyway. So this is from the original negative. It's got some interesting extras on it, including a uh, a, a short film called uh, Diary of a Fight, um, which uh, it relates to this. It relates to the the, the name of the film, and uh, it's narrated by Alain Delon. And uh, it's a really interesting time capsule, if this is your thing. So, Equation to an Unknown. I was, um, I was trying well, to look up. Is, is it, it, it's um, Francis Saval, S-A-V-A-L. You're better with all these names. As Dietrich, yeah. as Dietrich Don Vol- Velasa. There it is. The, yes, Dietrich Dietrich de Velsa. Dietrich de Velsa is right, but but that's that's the pseudonym. The, that's the, the pseudonym. His, his name is Francis. Is it Saval? S A V E L. Yeah, Saval. Saval. Yeah, so that would be it. That's it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, totally kind of obscure filmmaker. It's the only film he ever made, so uh, it's worth uh, worth giving a look at. Um, so what do we move to today? We got TV. We've got some foreign. Stuff. I was looking at. Films. I was looking at the new movies. Um, I, I, I thought of. Uh, I, I saw misbehavior there, uh, which oh, yeah. is a, a Keira Knightley film uh, in, in in Guga and Beth Raw, who are these two actresses who I just love, and Jesse Buckley, um, all sort of actresses, uh, you know, uh, sort of on the scene and doing things and being very very interesting. Uh, you know, this 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 was an interesting film about an actual event. It had to do with women who intended to disrupt the, the 1970 Miss World beauty pageant in London. The, and these, I remember back in the 70s, this would be a thing. They made a bunch of these movies about, uh, it's during that period, Helen Reddy, I think Helen, I think we lost, you know, I Am Woman and all that kind of stuff. And, and there was a whole bunch of these movies about, about you know, television shows about women who were going to go into these beauty pageants, the Miss America pageant, the Miss USA pageant, and disrupt them and, and the sort of things that happened. Uh, at that time. And this, I thought, was a sort of interesting story. But for whatever reason, even in 2020, and I don't know whether it had anything to do with 
because you would have thought it would have helped uh, the sort of uh, Me Too movement. This movie just sort of sort of tittered away and and and, uh, and it just didn't it just didn't hook uh, the imagination. And I just thought it was a sweet, funny little movie about the, the that burgeoning period of women's liberation. Uh, but uh, I don't know, didn't catch. Well, I liked it anyway. It, Did they do anything? It's it? it's a hell of a cast. I mean, Kira Knightley and Gugu Mbatha Raw, Jesse Buckley, uh, Reese Ifans, Keely Hawes, Leslie Manville, Greg Kinnear. That's quite a that's that's quite a great cast. Um, and uh, Philippa Lothorpe, I'm not familiar with as a director, but um, she she got the call and she got to handle a pretty great cast. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah not not much here. Cast interviews, some featurettes, and a trailer, but uh, a, a otherwise a very nice Blu-ray. Um, also here, uh, Honest Thief. I don't know if you saw Honest Thief with uh, Liam Neeson. Ah. but it's it's uh, it's basically him in Taken mode, uh, doing this same shtick all over again uh he he's a guy who was a big time bank robber and now he's falling in love and he's falling in love with uh kate walsh who mm. you know runs this the who he, he meets because he's he's using her little uh her little local business and of course then um they're they're, they're coming for him so it it, it there's an fbi corruption thing that gets involved here where you know he wants to turn himself in but the corrupt FBI agents want the money and you know, it, it all, it all goes South. And of course, then he's got to do his taken thing, which is I'm on the run so that I can do the honorable thing and save her life and all this stuff. So um, it's basically another version of taken. I don't, you know, don't, but I, you know, Liam Neeson, he's in his sixties, dude. And he's playing and, action heroes. And you still buy it. You buy it. You buy it. You know, I yeah. can buy Liam Neeson knocking out just about anybody. Uh, uh, <laughs> New Mutants uh, twenty. This is pretty neat. Maisie Williams, Maisie, of course, we know from Game of Thrones recently, and a whole bunch of other things, and Charlie Heaton and others. Anyway, a, a neat little sort of mutant uh, uh, movie, superhero kids uh, with superpowers movie. These young kids, they have these uh, abilities that they discover, and you know they're being held in this secret facility, and they got to fight their way out. And all technically, kind of the technically the last of the X Men movies made under the 20th Century Fox uh, deal before Disney acquired them, but it otherwise has no relationship whatsoever to the other X Men films. To the other X Men things, and, yeah. uh, uh, and not related to Gifted either, which was another series that I'm not, yeah, I'm not mistaken. Anyway, uh, but you know, so far as those 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 sort of films go in that genre, not terrible, not bad at all. Anything yeah. decent on that one uh, in terms of a. No, not particularly. Uh, deleted scenes and featurettes, the usual uh, thing. There is a there is a thing here called Origins and Influences with uh, legendary Marvel illustrator Bill Senkowitz, yeah. which um, which is which is fine. I mean, Senkowitz is is the guy that they really emphasize. He shows up in another featurette as well, but otherwise otherwise nothing uh, nothing overly amazing. Um, uh, Cage Fighter, Cage oh, yeah. Fighter. I want to make a quick mention of. Um, you know, look, it's a movie about cage fighting. Forget about <laughs> seriously, seriously, forget about it. There's no, there's no other reason to watch this other than the fact that that it, you know it's got some some great like cage fighting figures in it. Like Chuck Liddell is in the movie. Okay, he's too old now, but you know what? He's good enough for a movie. Uh, if you like kickboxer movies, if you like those old Van Damme movies and all, and whatnot, yeah, you're gonna want to check this out. It's a lot of fun. It's basically a bunch of just muscular guys beating the crap out of each other, and Gina Gershon gets thrown in there for good measure. And damn it, I love Gina Gershon. So go check out Kate. 
The War with Grandpa, De Niro. De Niro has leaned into his uh, elderliness in a certain sort of yeah. way that I, that I deeply, deeply appreciate. He's not trying to you know, <laughs> hang on to the taxi driver guy. But in a certain way, he brings that taxi driver guy uh, with him, no matter what the hell he's doing. Um, so this one, this one's about this, 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 uh, kid who has this room at his house and he loves his room and his grandfather has to move in and moves into his room with him. And he just can't stand the notion and, uh, not on blame him, frankly. And he, you know, declares war <laughs> on his, on his grandfather to try to get him out. And of course it's really all about how, how they're built, how they build their relationship. And, you know, uh, kind of comes to love you. Cheech Marion walking around the film and, and uh, and a few other few other interesting folks. So you know, this one was fun for me. Uh, well, Robert De Niro in Uma that Thurman mode, I kind of did. And yeah, Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman and, uh, and James and Christopher Walken. And Christopher Walken, yeah. <laughs> you know, you wow, can't go wrong. A... Anything? Did they stick anything on there? Absolutely nothing. Only a movies anywhere uh, code to add it to your library. But uh, you know, there he is, De Niro doing. He's he is leaning into his age in a really interesting way, isn't he? Yeah, you know, it's just good. Go ahead and do that. I, did you? I I reviewed Jungle Land on Film Week uh, when it was when it was out, and you know, I, I gave it a pretty good re- review. It's um, uh, Max Winkler, so you know Henry Henry Winkler's son. Um, oh, he, that's who that is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Hume and Hume, uh, Jack O'Connell, these brothers, and and, and 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 you know, and again, it's 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 about fighting again. Sort of street brawl fighting. You got these brothers. They've been left on their own since they were children, when their 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 parents would sort of abandoned them. And and Jack's the older one, and he's the he's the schemer and the one who's always calculating stuff. I'm sorry, Charlie's the older one, and Jack is the young one who can fight. That's what he can do. And he's and, and they they're going to go on this road trip. Now there's this B storyline in this movie. It has to do with this young woman that some gangster. Uh, tells them that they're gonna need that he's gonna need him to get this young woman and take this young woman with them on this road trip. They're gonna go out to California to, so that the Jack can be in this big fight. Uh, but they got to take this young woman now. What the hell is going on with this young woman and who she is and, and where they're taking her to and all of that kind of stuff? Is you know it's interesting, but it always felt like it belonged in a completely different movie. Uh, so this 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 felt like the the sort of melding of two movies into one. Um, when in fact it was just two movies and they should have made that movie and they should have made this movie and they should let them, let them live as separate sort of movies. Nevertheless, fairly decent filmmaking and fairly different, decent directing from, uh, from Max Winkler. So we talk a lot about Grindstone who, who pumps out stuff for uh, Lionsgate. And we, we make fun of the fact that, that Grindstone basically has two modes, which is they take old action stars and put them into uh, low-budget new action films like, you know, Antonio Banderas or Mel Gibson or even Robert De Niro on occasion. Um, and then they also make movies about talking animals. <laughs> well, Tim, they're branching out. They, they, they made a movie called Iron Mask. I'm not going to tell you uh, whether this is good or bad. I'm just going to, to tell you the cast, and I'm going to read you the plot. <laughs> and I'm going to let you make up your own mind. This stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh Jason Fleming, and Jackie Chan. Oh boy! Oh boy! It is called Iron Iron Mask. I, look, here, it, it sounds like the medical insurance is going to be uh, here. Here is here. This movie. Here is here is the description. Here is the actual description that they use. For the first time ever, screen legends Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan face off against each other in this epic fantasy adventure. In order to save his homeland from certain doom, a kung fu master, 
Chan must escape from the maniacal James Hook Schwarzenegger in order to send his daughter a secret talisman that will allow her to control a massive and mythical dragon. This larger-than-life globetrotting tale ranging from the impenetrable Tower of London to the fabled Silk Road and China's Great Wall also stars Rutger Hauer oh, in one Rutger. of the screen icon's final performances. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say anything else with that plot description. I because I I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. I just can't. Um, I will I don't say know. that. Out of school, I'm looking at Ar- I'm looking at Arnold here dressed up like Captain Hook, and uh, I mean like he's dressed. Uh, I mean he's got the hat and everything. Uh, I gotta so- tell you. I I don't know. I don't know how this script got written. I don't know how it got into the hands of these stars. I don't know how it got funded. All I can say is weird things happen in the world. Yeah, you know, and they had to come up with a lot of money to pay Arnold and Jackie. Uh, you know, those guys, I mean, you know, they're not they're not called they're not demanding 20 million dollars or anything anymore, but I bet you're they're a couple of million bucks a pop. Um, uh, to get those two guys um, uh, out uh, to do this what thing. A movie. What can I say? Arnold used to be the governor of California, people. That's the <laughs> governor on the on this poster right here. Uh, but then again, Jesse Ventura oh. was the governor of, what was it? Where, something. In the yeah, of uh, Minnesota. 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 Uh, what the hell? Oh, my. Um, also another one here, Smiley Face Killers from Brett Easton Ellis, inspired by true events, right? Uh, Smiley Face Killers. Um, Brett Easton Ellis, is. do you ever listen to his podcast? No, never have. I, it, I haven't either, and a lot of people say it's quite a thing, so I'm, I might try that at some point. Anyway. He was always, also little, a, he's always a little wacky to me. Well, he definitely is. He, he's this is and this is a this is interesting to be sure. Um, it's more in the American Psycho vein than anything. This is also from Grindstone, but more you know straightforward. Anyway, it's basically a serial killer movie. It's based on actual um, drownings that took place in California, kind of mid mid California. I never heard of the the actual drownings. I don't know the the actual story, but um, it's a uh, it, it's. It's pretty freaky, and and the fact that they went and said, you know what, we've got a really scary, freaky uh, person to put in some kind of a serial killer outfit. Why don't we hire Crispin Glover? Well, that's a stretch. <laughs> uh, but there you go, with Crispin Glover. Uh, let's see, anything else here that uh, we should make mention of? Um, yeah, let's let me let me make two two more real quick ones here on the. Um, on the new film front, Nelson Algren Live is a is basically kind of a staged performance um, and a documentary all in one. Uh, Nelson Algren, very famous novelist, um, not known you know a, a, to a lot of people, but really really popular with a lot of others. Um, kind of wrote you know really gritty stories about you know the underbelly of America and and the the downtrodden and whatnot. A little bit of a Steinbeckian vibe to him. Um, except, you know, more kind of modern, not so much about, you know, the rural poor or whatnot, but about the, the marginalized in the cities, you know, drug addicts and, and gigolos and pimps and things like that. So he, um, you know, all, all very much centered in Chicago, which is where he's from anyway. So uh, he would have turned 100 and a bunch of people gathered together at the Steppenwolf Theater to um, perform a reading kind of a performance piece, a reading of his life and his work in his own words. And uh, it includes uh, Willem Dafoe 
And it's, it, you know, if you like the writing, if you're familiar with Algren, it'll be very, very moving to you. If you're not really into Algren or you don't know much about him, it'll probably not be your cup of tea. But Nelson Algren Live is really worth checking out. And then there's also Lupin Third, the first. Um, uh, I meant to check in with Charles to get more of a background on this Lupin stuff. This is from G-Kids through Shout Factory, because Lupin is... Uh, it, it's a it's a thing. It's a franchise. I'm not familiar with the other films. Tim, have you seen any of the other Lupin films? No, no, I haven't. Is this a French series of films? No, it's, or, it's or, Japanese. Or they, they're, it's, they're Japanese. It's like yeah, it's an, it's kind of anime, sort of. Um, I mean, it's CG animation. It's 3D animation. It's not really anime, anime, cell animation, anime. But the animators are are uh, 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 Japanese, and um, the you know it. I, it's I don't really understand it. I kind of feel like you know the, it it has a whole the plot line here is not typical anime stuff. It's about you know trying to resurrect the Third Reich and uh, it gets a little Indiana Jones ish and and uh, you know there's this thing called the Bresson Diary, uh, which is kind of like the the MacGuffin, the Indiana Jones MacGuffin. It, it's very impressively done, but I feel like not knowing the character and not knowing the um, the, the the previous. Uh, films in the series i was a little bit at a disadvantage nonetheless it's it's really nice animation and i assume if you've seen the other two films uh, or whatever else there is that you'll you'll probably thoroughly enjoy it but i it's not something to jump into sight unseen um i wanted to i wanted to to mention a couple of, uh, of the films in the in the doc categories including one that's yes. under, under the criterion that minding the gap film oh uh, yeah which was a really fascinating 2018 documentary follow these young uh, skateboarder kids and in, 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 in their sort of run-down Rust Belt uh, community uh, over the course of several, several years. And it is just a deeply revealing sort of film as we see these boys, young they're all young men, uh, boys who become young men, uh, sort of engaging with each other over the course of the, the several years that being, uh, is it being Lou? Uh, if, if yeah, I think it was Bing Lou. It was Bing Lou is the director. The yeah. director of the film and uh, and, 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 you know, the sort of sometimes to- toxic masculinity, and we can see sort of the way it develops and where it comes from and how it, and what it metamorphs into as we watch, again, these boys to sort of become young men and the things that we find out is a really, really good sort of... Uh, and it's it's worth noting noting too that you know we started to give our editing award uh, with the LA Film Critics not long ago. Like they, we for the LA Film Critics only started giving out an award for editing maybe what five years ago or something like that. But um, what's interesting is that two of the films that have won that editing award since we we initiated it have been documentaries. I, at least two. Wow. Uh, the the OJ the OJ miniseries for HBO got got the which is like you know six hours long or seven hours or whatever it is it's long got uh, a very deserved editing award and this did as well mining the gap is an incredibly well edited film and documentaries don't often get enough credit for that yeah uh another doc that i just want to mention this one's not from criterion it's uh, it's one of the other docs but the donut king from alice goo yeah uh, it's another just fascinating which is about the you know, you know this guy uh, uh, Ted Neoy, I think it's the way you pronounce his name and his wife and and they have this donut shop and they and they, they, they develop if you've ever seen a sort of pink bakery box you know people get cakes and donuts and all that kind of stuff and they, they sort of developed the concept of that uh th- those sort of pink bakery boxes um him and his wife but what this movie is really about is the immigration story a particular sort of uh, uh you know asian immigration story to america as well as it is about this business and 
and uh, in, in, in the economy and the, the economy for um, of, of, uh, of immig- immigrating families, because very often you'll you'll notice that families that immigrate to America, what they do is start businesses. Yeah. Um, um, and and the, you know, for all kinds of reasons, um, uh, and this has a lot to do with that. So it's just really, really a fascinating uh, documentary from that stand standpoint. The the Donut King, and it's, the uh, other one. In, in I, some res- I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Wait. I was gonna. I was gonna say really, really quickly. It it it, it reminds me in some respects of the. Um, Nathan's famous, famous Nathan uh, documentary yes. about Nathan's famous hot dogs. It's a very, which is also an immigrant story. This, you know, illiterate Eastern European Jew who comes here and you know gets a job working for and, and for you know on Coney Island selling hot dogs, and then thinks you know I could I could do the same thing for less and and make a much better profit, and goes into business and becomes one of the biggest you know um, self-made multimillionaires ever, and then his kids screw it all up. <laughs> which, is, which is also part of the story too often but anyway yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a good doc sorry go, go on next one uh the hip-hop i i just thought this one was interesting too hip-hop the songs that shook america uh, yeah. which was a really sort of interesting um historical look back at hip-hop in america hip-hop is really more than 40 years old now Isn't that um, crazy? Um, yeah yeah i mean it's just absolutely yeah, yeah, fascinating to think about uh, the, this music coming out of mostly New York in the mid 70s and, and, and how it traversed America, the East Coast, West Coast thing, uh, the way it changed uh, American culture in many ways. I can remember when the first uh, when, when I first started hearing hip hop as the music that would appear in commercials selling things cars uh yeah, yeah yeah or or washing machines or whatever it is and this this uh, you know um, uh, historical look at at the culture of hip-hop and what's what it's meant to america and how it sort of insinuated itself into mother all kinds of fascinating quest love i think is one of the producers yep. but we talked to all kinds of fascinating people and uh you know and they really sort of examine the entire thing very deeply and they look at some very specific songs that had a particular sort of uh, impact in the culture over the course of that more than 40 years and what I and, and and again, this is very specific to America. But what I hope someone does, which this doesn't do because it can't, it's too broad of a scope. You only have so much time. But what I hope someone does is take a look at international hip hop mm. at some point, because after when hip hop exploded it, 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 today, literally right now, there is hip hop in France, mm. in England, in Russia. Uh, in Japan, in Korea, in the Middle East, there is there is Egyptian hip hop, there is Indian hip hop. Um, it, it's extraordinary how, in just a matter of a few decades, that particular movement that comes out of New York in the 1970s becomes a vehicle for a, a, a particular demographic in almost every different culture all around the world. I mean, it, it spread like wildfire because it had something visceral, something raw. It's really an amazing subject. I hope somebody really t- tackles that one day. Yeah, that'd be, that would be fantastic. Absolutely would. Uh, you know, another doc, uh, as long as we're on docs, I want to make a mention of Rising from Ashes, uh, which is narrated by Forrest Whitaker, is a really, really, really terrific doc. This is from First Run Features. Um, this is a cycling doc. We're big in cycling in my house. My yeah. wife tore her ACL many, many years ago playing basketball uh, and recovered from it with a, an ACL transplant and as part of rehabbing, got into cycling. And, you know, we watch the Tour de France every year and all kinds of stuff. And it's a big deal. 
But cycling is a very, very specific kind of sport for very specific countries. Like if you're, you know, if you remember the eighties when uh, Greg LeMond mm. won the, uh, the Tour de France is the first American to do so. Everybody was like kind of shocked, like American winning the Tour de France. Like it's not a, anything, you know, it's, it's supposed to only be for French people, Italians, and maybe occasionally somebody who's Dutch. That, that was it, you know, or Belge, you know, you, you, the same people who win all the skiing uh, medals. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's a very specific thing. It's, you know, it's Italy and Spain and France and, you know, where the Alps are. And that's, that's, it's, it, you know, occasionally they'll let a German in the club. And here, um, Jock Boyer, who is a, who is a, a great, great uh, American cyclist. He goes to Rwanda to help them put together the first Rwanda national cycling team in order to compete in the Olympic games. And it's a little bit of a cool runnings kind of a thing yeah. where you're going to a country that doesn't have a tradition for this particular sport and saying, you know, like, why the hell not dream big. Right. Mm. Um, but it is so touching. It is so, so beautiful. Um, and if you don't know Jack Boyer, he was the, he was the first American to actually compete in the Tour de France. He never won, but he was the first American to actually be in it. And so he, he knows what it means to be a guy in a country or from a country that's not supposed to be in this sport. Yeah. So he's taking that experience to Rwanda and he's, he's, you know, in, inspiring them. And it's just the, you know, the cyclists themselves are so amazing. There's, they so want to learn. They, they are so talented. It's just, and considering what Rwanda went through not too long ago with the genocide, it has, you know, that casts a shadow on this as well. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. you got to watch it. It's so inspiring. Rising from ashes. Um, narrated by Forrest Whitaker and uh, directed by T.C. Johnstone. Really, really a great documentary. In America, we've always had a sort of strange relationship with a with number of sports that we might think of as European sports, uh, you know, with what we call soccer, football, you know, soccer, all yeah. kinds of cycling. In the middle 70s, I can remember when both of those sports in the middle 70s um, were huge uh, in America. Yeah. Uh, when when uh, when racing bikes, what was that? What was that movie? It was a, a, that sort of poignant, sweet movie. Breaking away, breaking, breaking away. away. Yeah, uh, yep. you know, and that 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 sort of came on the heels of this sort of uh, moment yeah. in America when cycling was this thing. Uh, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, one other doc I want to make a quick mention of: Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain. Uh, if you know anybody who suffers from TBI, which is traumatic brain injury, please please watch this. Uh, it's more than just something to pass the time. I, I do have uh, a friend who suffers from TBI, uh, and I see it on a regular basis. And, you know, you if you have anyone in your life who has been impacted by TBI, and there are millions and millions of people that suffer from this every year, um, it's, it's a lifelong thing, and it can happen uh, if you got mugged. It can happen if you get injured in, you know, too many concussions in sports. It, it happened to Michael Hutchins mm. and, you know, Michael Hutchins committed suicide because he was attacked by a crazed cabbie in Copenhagen one year and his head hit the pavement and nobody ever realized that he suffered traumatic brain injury from that altercation mm. and it wound up taking his life yeah. or causing him to take his own life. So, yeah. um, I would, I would really urge people to see this. This has wonderful interviews with physicians in it and it, and it's, it's, it's just absolutely essentially important. Um, uh, quiet explosions, healing the brain from Emmy award winning director, Jerry Schur. Uh, really, really worth checking out, especially if you have somebody in your life, someone you love who, who suffers from TBI. Mm. I, I just, this last one just for me in the docs, that Chuck Berry doc. 
Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah the, the the original king of rock and roll, Chuck Berry, the original king of rock and roll. There are a lot of Chuck Berry docs, you know, Hail Hail Rock and Roll, or docs where he he appears, and and yeah. they all speak to him as a sort of foundational figure in the in the in the in the building of what would become rock and roll, even the designation of this thing called rock and roll. I like yeah. this one because it's kind of about Chuck Berry uh, as a guy. Uh, Chuck Berry is from St. Louis. I'm from St. Louis. Um, um, and, 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 and how he, he, he was really just a sort of family man guy. Um, uh, and by association, uh, you know, little Richard and uh, yeah, 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 so many other figures from that period. Uh, how, how how Nat King Cole Chuck Berry is Chuck Berry is was in the world of all of these people. The guy who directed this guy named John Brewer, um, um, uh, who directed a whole bunch of uh, docs about important people from from various different periods in the music business, was specifically selected by the Berry Estate to produce and direct this sort of inside look at at, at Chuck Berry. Um, and I think that's what I kind of like about it. This one, this this one's sort of a complete look at Chuck Berry and um, what what he meant to the foundation of rock and roll. Uh, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, it begins with Chuck Berry. Yeah. I, I I don't I think I think if you don't have Chuck Berry, you don't get Little Richard, and if you don't have Little Richard, you don't get Elvis, and you know you don't you don't get the Beatles, and you don't get all the rest of it. I mean, you just don't. And Chuck Berry changed. How we how we play electric guitar? Yeah. I mean, he yeah. quite literally changed it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, it 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 was it was a very different instrument until he got his hands on it, and um, you know, he changed performance too. Yeah, beautiful doc. Absolutely. All right, let's let's get into one other Criterion release this week: three films by Luis Buñuel. Ah. Uh, the if you have these on DVD, you can now get rid of them and pick up all all three in Blu-ray: The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, The Phantom of Liberty, and That Obscure Object of Desire. Pretty much the three great Buñuel films that you absolutely have to have and you have to see, especially That Obscure Object of Desire from 1977. Um, you know, Bunuel is not everybody's uh, taste. He's certainly uh, a surrealist in every sense of the word, but boy, his movies are just so fascinating, and especially at this stage of his career, which is like late-stage Bunuel, uh, long after he made, you know, uh, Enchant Andalou and some of his earlier work when he was starving. Uh, my favorite thing on here are uh, the these interviews from 2000 with uh, Jean-Claude Carrière, the great screenwriter who, you know, worked with so many famed directors, including Philip Kaufman, co-wrote, you know, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, uh, worked on all of these Bunuel films. And uh, he talks about Phantom of Liberty and that obscure object of desire here. It's wonderful. One of the great screenwriters of all time. Archival interviews from all of these with just about everybody who was in them. Tons and tons of stuff here. Do feature documentaries, you know, on... on all over the place. It's really an amazing box set. Um, if you're a Bunuel fan, can't be without it. If you're not, well, get it anyway and watch them until you learn to appreciate Bunuel. Yes. I, slicing eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> um, some other, you know, Tim, let's talk for a second about some other stuff here. Uh, got some other... Got a, got a couple from Mill Creek. Uh, one I want to spend a minute on. The first one is Accepted, which is kind of a silly little, you know, uh, semi-raunchy, PG-13 rated college, uh, college slacker comedy. Really only noteworthy because of uh, the fact that Justin Long and Blake Lively are in it and, and Lewis Black shows up. Yeah. And it was kind of a, a huge comic figure. 
Um, Jonah Hill. Yeah, was was, that was one of those moments that you, you, know, you could follow yeah. a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks who did some stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's kind of predictable, and Jonah Hill's, uh, you know, semi funny in it. Um, but not, you know, not not sensationally amazing. Uh, the film I do want to talk about, however, also from Mill Creek, is Your Highness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Tim, we saw this at the same press screening together. <laughs> um. This was directed by David Gordon Green, who made George Washington for crying out loud. I just can't connect that guy in that movie to that same guy in this movie. I know, that's the problem. So he made this after Pineapple Express, which was another detour. But this is with Danny Danny McBride, James Franco, Natalie Portman shows up in this for some reason. This is truly one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. I can't process how this is made by the same guy that made George Washington. Um, like it's, it's, it's like a pot smoking period wizard fantasy comedy with whatever. It's like a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court. If it were made by like, you know, potheads or something, I don't really, I don't really get it. I don't understand it. Here's my, here's my recollection of this press screening. And there was no, no way in hell I was ever going to watch this Blu-ray a second time. So I remember sitting at the arc light. And the lights go down, and I was sitting with you, and I think Mark was there too. <laughs> and I think about ten minutes into this movie, I I stretch, I popped the, the 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 armrests up, and I stretched out across three seats in the back row, and I went to sleep. And then I remember, I remember hearing you laughing, and you weren't laughing with the movie; you were laughing at the movie. Yeah. And you woke me up, and I looked up. And so, and Natalie Portman was stabbing somebody or something on a with an orb and a talisman. I don't remember what was going on. Do you remember this? I remember it absolutely. Yes, you know, I haven't seen it since either. But yes, it. it I was laughing. Yeah, not with. Uh, <laughs> it, it was was. It, it, and Mark and I had been sitting here uh, talking about this. Is the guy that directed George Washington, which is this extremely meditative, beautiful film. Uh, set in this, uh, I don't know, whatever. Were they from North Carolina, South Carolina? All these guys. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Uh, community of the bunch of dude. Zoe, this movie. You got Toby Jones. You got Zoe Dashnell. You got the great Charles Dance in this movie. Damian Lewis is in this movie. I mean, these are all people who are in like these. These have gone on Game of Thrones, uh, uh, in, in really important television. All but they're all in this perfectly ludicrous movie. And uh, and I just uh, I, I just can't get my I could two thousand six I couldn't get my mind around it then I can't get my mind around it now. Well, there it is, your your highness. Um, a few other things, real quickly. Uh, let me pull them out here. We've got two two different series that are all kind of um, old VHS tribute series. I'm going to go through these real quickly, just so you know that they're out there. Um, one of them is the MVD Rewind Collection, and then the other one is uh, the the, um, the the Mill Creek kind of equivalent to it. <clears throat> They're all done a little bit with the with the with the old, you know, they put the, the fake stickers on that you know VHS tapes used to have. So I, so, I give that um, another five years of people having any idea what the reference, what that means. Yeah. So from the Mill Creek version of that, we have the Freshman, 
with Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick. Actually, a, a surprisingly great film from Andrew Bergman, mm -hmm. which is really uh, very underrated. So I'm sorry that's kind of getting the VHS retro treatment here because it's really, really a good movie. Uh, like Father, Like Son with Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron, one of the original body switching movies. Mm -hmm. Not not a not a good movie, but Kirk Cameron's post getting Nick, a little bit of... post um, Freaky Friday. Yeah, yeah it's yeah about it, 1990 it's... or so. I think that. Kind of a kind of a bad movie, but whatever. The the other there was the other one with uh, Judge Reinhold that came out the oh, same yeah. summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ralph Macchio, who again is a bit of a thing uh, in Cobra Kai, uh, did Crossroads oh, for yeah. director Walter Hill back in the day. And this is a this is a really sweet film. It's kind of been forgotten a little bit, but um, you know it's also got Joe Seneca in it and uh, Jamie Gertz, uh, kind of coming off of uh, 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 a. Uh, what was it square pegs on television square pegs, yeah. um, less than zero all that yeah but really it's it's a beautiful tribute to the blues is what it is mm -hmm. it's a beautiful tribute to the blues and joe seneca just plays such a beautiful harmonica and, and uh you know ralph macho's playing blues on guitar and it's a it's a it's a sweet little movie um then there's rutger hauer uh, again the late rutger hauer in blind fury which is sort of a uh, you know, blind swordsmen are a bit of a thing in both Chinese and Japanese movies. The uh, the the they have a, a a history there. Yeah, and uh, they decided, hey, let's make one of those for Americans with Rutger Hauer. Didn't go over quite so well. Philip Noyce directed it. I'm sure he'd like to forget that he did. Anyway, Randall Tex Cobb's in here too. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's got some fun moments. I but it, there, it's it's not much to to scream about. And then the uh, the MVD Rewind Collection includes a uh, blood fight and iron heart both of them with bolo young mm -hmm. bolo young of course being you know one of the all-time great heavies in martial arts films he's the guy that you know bruce lee has to beat the crap out of at the beginning of uh uh of the dragon uh so neither of these are particularly good but the but if you love bolo young you're gonna want to watch iron heart and blood fight uh we have rutger hauer again in split second <laughs> he's like the king of vhs this week uh, Split Second is is kind of a, a cheesy, you know, like if his Blade Runner character didn't die. And uh, this takes place in 2008 as a futuristic uh, environment. It was made in 1992. It, it didn't really predict 2008 very well. Um, it's a little bit it's a little bit post apocalyptic. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's OK. It's OK. It's it's, 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 it's Kim, yeah, it's Kim like Kim a trail. Kim Cattrall's in that movie. Kim Cattrall, it's got a, it's got like an alien thing going on. It's, it's silly. Um, Max Reload and the Nether Blasters is one of those, one of those just absolutely ridiculous movies. It's not part of the MVD Rewind uh, series because it's a new movie, but it belongs there, and that's why I'm including it. This has our friend Greg Grunberg in it. I'm gonna next time I see him, I haven't seen him for years, but next time I see him, I'm gonna totally rib him for doing this. Um, like he just made some, he worked for, he was in Star Wars. Why are you doing this, Greg? I don't understand. Um, anyway, it kind of, it's sort of a retro thing. It's a little bit of a retro thing. You know, it's got a, like this guy who's a video game clerk um, finds the only known copy of this game series, which does this like Jumanji thing and unleashes, you know, the dark forces of the netherworld and, it's whatever. Kevin Smith is in it. That tells everything you yeah. need to know. Anything that has um, a, anything that has a nether world in it is probably going to be, you know, silly. Nether, nether blasters. <laughs> nether blast. Uh, and then, and then we have uh, Gun Crazy with Drew Barrymore and oh. James LeGros, yeah. which which is not bad, yeah. right? That was that was a pretty not good bad. little movie. Yeah. And then uh, lastly is Mikey 
with Josie Bennett, Lyman Ward, uh, Mimi Craven, and Brian Bonzal. Those were once names to a certain group of people. They uh, are not anymore. Mm. But the this is kind of a one of those evil child things, uh, you know, those bad seed movies. It it doesn't age particularly well, but again, it's you know if you like if you like bad child, bad seed, murderous kid movies, which sort of peaked with the Omen, I think um, Mikey is an interesting uh, post Omen entry in the genre. Mm. Anyway, that's a that's a good little collection of uh, VHSE rewind throwback things. Um, we only have a few minutes left. You want to cover the Arrow stuff? We also had some TV. Is there anything in, in here that you particularly think we should talk uh, about? You go ahead and grab it. If anything pops up, that I, I'll, 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 I'll chime in. Let me, let me plow through uh, some of the Arrow stuff here. Always so, happy to talk uh, about Tremors, of course. Oh, let's do that. Let's hit. Let's start it with Tremors. The special I mean, edition, and I am—I have to imagine there have been ten thousand special edition of of Tremors. This is the original Tremors, of course. This is the original Tremors on four K, and it's it's great. It comes with a with a, a booklet, and then you know Universal licensed it to Arrow and just said four K, go for it. We're not going to do it. So that's why we have Arrow and Criterion because they will reach out and they will do what the the license holders will not. Yeah. This is a brand new 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray set. Loads of extras. I can't even get into it. I can't even get into it. It's like new interviews and old interviews and featurettes. And it's like everything there is to know about Tremors is here, including the archival 1995 Laurent Bouzereau documentary. Mm. Um, it's all here. It's a great film. And you, I should point out, you you wrote a script that's a little Tremor-ish. And <laughs> yeah, I so you can, you can tell that, that Tim's got a thing for Tremors. So I'll let you weigh in on it. Uh, well, I, I love this movie. Um, uh, for, for Ron Underwood directing this film, Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward. Uh, Finn Carter, uh, who the, the the young lady in the movie, I always felt should have had a had a, had a slightly bigger career. But of course, you have the wonderful Reba McIntyre, uh, 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 and, and and oh, she's so good, you know. And um, oh, uh, who they, they playing 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 her husband out there uh, in that uh, uh, in that uh, in that thing, Michael Gross, uh, yes. uh, and, and those characters, or at least his character, out of those characters. Uh, have gone on to continue to make these movies. This is 1990, man. And if I'm not mistaken, they're still making Tremors, you know, movie, TV type things. And Michael Gross shows up in just about every one of them. So, you know, um, uh, he, he, he made a career I'm out. Gonna, made a career out. I'm going I'm to tell you something, too. Uh, he, Michael Gross started a movie called Alan and Naomi, mm. Which, as it happens, was directed by a guy that was, you know, my one of my wife's teachers in film school. Uh, so we have a bit of a connection. But I interviewed him for Entertainment Today when we were writing for Entertainment Today. Yeah. I interviewed Michael Gross for that, and really, it was a phone interview, not in one of the in-person deals. It was a phoner, but one of the nicest, most it, it, genuine people I think I've ever talked to. Really, really a great guy. So I can't, I can't say enough about Michael Gross. He was really a class act and still is. Uh, also from Arrow Versus, a uh, Ryuhei Kitamura samurai film. Um, this is this obviously this is not you know uh, this is more pulp samurai stuff. You have your artsy samurai, which is usually the Kurosawa stuff and the Mizuguchi mm. stuff. Um, this is just really really intense kind of pulpy um, uh, samurai stuff. It's but it's not straight samurai. It's like genre samurai. It includes you know like yakuza and zombies and it's you know it, it's sort of all over the map 
And um, Kitamura is one of those kinds of guys who just loves to fuse all of these genres together. So you're you're watching it, you know, mainly for the 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 sword play, but it's got a lot more going on. It's kind of all over the map, and it's really really crazy. It was very successful in Japan. Tons of extras. Really really fun to check out. Um, it uh, it it sort of launched Kitamura's career. Really made him uh, made him a big deal. So it's a, it's a cool film. The last two here. Um, Cinema Paradiso, yeah, which which has been out before a lot. This is a 4K of Cinema Paradiso, and it is to die for. Arrow uh, has really really done a number here. They um, oh this God, is the 1988. I, I I know. Oh my I know. Ah, uh, jeez. Yeah, uh, I know. That literally, it it has both cuts on it: the 124-minute American cut and the nearly three-hour original director's cut. Um, they did 4K restoration on everything from the original camera negative. Uh, Tor- Giuseppe Tornatore oversaw all of this stuff. It is really, really great. Now, the uh, it's worth saying that they the restoration of the director's cut was done. This is all in 4K for television. Mm. But the restoration of the director's cut was done in 2K, and the restoration of the theatrical version, the American theatrical version, which was cut by basically by Harvey Weinstein, was done in 4K. But you still watch this in in 4K here. So it, you know the, it, the let me let me let me try to clarify. You're still watching. So this is 4K of the American release mm-hmm. and 2K Blu-ray of the full theatrical cut all on one disc. So they did restorations of both. Am I making sense mm-hmm. or am I confusing everybody more? So I, w- I just want people to understand that when they see the 4K, it's the, the version you love, the Harvey Weinstein cut version from the original, you know, the release here in the US. And the director's cut on here was restored again, was done a pro- gave a, given a proper, you know, dress up, but that's only in 2K and on a Blu-ray, mm-hmm. both on the same disc. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I haven't confused anybody, but I want but they're both restored. I better stop talking. I'm making a fool of myself. <laughs> it's it's. Anyway, I'm still disgusted. Well. It was 1988 for Christ's sake. I thought that, uh, I, was, I was thinking, oh, I remember this movie in the, the middle. No, 1988. Oh my. Well, it's and and you know, audio commentary on here with uh, with Tornatori is absolutely wonderful. Uh, there's also a little 27 um, minute documentary that I'd never seen before: a Bear and a Mouse in Paradise, mm. which is all about the making of the film, and it's that's just beautiful too. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, that's really really wonderful here. And then the last one from Arrow, and I think a couple of TV things I want to mention before we leave. Um, uh, three films uh, by Shohei Imamura, The Ballad of Narayama, Zegan, and Black Rain. Narayama was the first film that won him a Palm d'Or. The Eel, which is not in this box set, was the second film he won a Palm d'Or for. That was in 97, and I was there. And uh, we didn't see that one coming. Mm. But Imamura, one of the very few uh, double winners of the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, these are these are they call these survivor ballads. The three films: Ballad of Narayama, Zegan, and Black Rain. Uh, beautiful films, all very slow films. Imamura is not everybody's uh, taste. He he makes very very ozu pacing films, mm. but they are um, they they are not ozu looks at Japanese society. They look at sort of the the seamier side of, of the society, the 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 people who are, you know, the marginalized prostitutes and and again kind of getting to what we talked about a little bit earlier with uh Algren. He he kind of takes a poetic look at at you know the peasantry and the people who are really on on the margins. 
So um, anyway, Ballad of Narayama is worth getting this all by itself. It's a it's a tremendous film adapted from an old Japanese folktale, and uh, it's all about this uh, you know this fam this farm family of farmers barely eking out a subsistence life in the north of Japan. Really a you know a wonderful wonderful um, story that takes a very dark turn and uh, it, it kind of you know jars your soul. So all, all this stuff is great. And then, of course, Black Rain is famous because it was, it was you know, very much one of the films that confronted the idea of nuclear fear, especially in Japan, head on. So three films by Shohei Imamura, uh, Survivor Ballads. Tim, let's talk for a second about season two of uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Um, yeah. That's out. That is out on uh, DVD from Paramount. I have very mixed feelings about Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Well, the, I, yours? I, season two, I, I, because I because I the, those feelings that you're talking about uh, rose in me during season one. Um, uh, so I so I didn't make it to season two. Um, um, it, 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 so so sort of interesting. I'll be interested to, to to hear what you have to say about about season two in season one. Uh, much of the problem that I had with what I was watching with his sort of interp- interpretation of what the dynamic of Twilight Zone was in the first place is, you know, look, I, I, I suppose that what I was anticipating was a perspective that was somewhat aligned in, 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 in alignment with Rod Serling's. There we go. He, he had this very yep. specific thing that Rod Serling was doing. And if you're going to do Twilight Zone, it seems to me that you have to be, no, no matter what stories you tell, by the way, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference what the story is, but the thing that you're doing it ought to be the thing that Rod Serling was doing. Now, this is the first time that an adaptation of the Twilight Zone series made that mistake. The one in the 80s did the same thing. Uh, they decided to make these sort of science fiction-based shows in the 80s, uh, quasi-science fiction, quasi-art. But yeah. None of them were doing what Rod Serling was doing. Rod Serling understood irony. Yeah. And, and and I'm not sure that Jordan is getting is getting that either. E- even though I know he's a very very big fan of it all. So what, what how do you, what do you what do you come away? When Steven Spielberg wanted to do an anthology series, he didn't do Twilight Zone. He did Amazing Stories because that let him put his imprimatur on it. Mm-hmm. Twilight Zone has now been rebooted. They've been trying to milk that brand for for the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. They've rebooted it at least four times. This being the fourth, and. I, I think the, what all of the miss is Twilight Zone is remember what I was saying earlier about casting. You want somebody that brings their soul to something. Twilight Zone came right out of the soul of Rod Serling. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can do Twilight Zone without Rod Serling. I don't want to see Jordan Peele's take on Twilight Zone. No. I want to see Jordan Peele's original anthology series. Yeah. Rod Serling's Twilight Zone and Jordan Peele's fill in the blank. I want Jordan Peele to do his thing, yeah. not to try to ram himself into 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 Rod Serling's, you know, legacy. Rod Serling was first and foremost a writer, and a very particular kind of writer. Jordan Peele is a hyphenate. He is a performer, he is a comedian, he is a writer, he is a director. And you know, that's a very different way of approaching things. I think Jordan Peele is first and foremost a director, mm. to be honest. And um, I, I, I don't, you know, he's not, he's not as prolific as Rod Serling because Rod Serling never directed his own stuff. Yeah. Rod Serling would sit there and he'd just knock out script after script after script after script. Jordan Peele's a guy who knows he's going to direct his own stuff. You and I both know when you direct your own stuff, you don't sit there and just start knocking out scripts. Well, you're, right, you're writing to what you want to direct. 
And so I think Jordan Peele has a very, very, very different take on genre, a very different take on the world. And I think we've moved past the Twilight Zone world. You know, it's not that that kind of um, moment in the 1950s and 60s when the shadow of nuclear war hung over everything. Mm. And two thirds of the Twilight Zones basically are kind of riffing off of, you know, Cold War paranoia in some respect. You know, we got different things. And I, and I, and I really think that it's unfair to Jordan Peele and to Rod Serling to, to kind of try to force them together in this. I think Jordan Peele should get a shot at doing his, he's certainly enough of a name that he can brand something on his own. Oh, absolutely. And look, I'll tell you who else knew that that was a mistake. Uh, Rod Serling. <laughs> Rod Serling yeah, didn't right. repeat Rod Serling. Uh, when he did his second series, it was Night Gallery, and it is a completely different genre uh, yeah. uh, because that, that was complete. Uh, so there you go. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So didn't make it to the second season. Anyway, any, anything decent in there? Were there? Did anything stand out? Did they at least put something interesting on there? I mean, I mean, some of the sh- some of the episodes are fine, but I can't get over the fact that they're all in color. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's nice to see some of these actors show up, like Christopher Maloney. I haven't seen him forever, so it's nice to kind of see him again. Um, you know, Billy Porter doesn't really belong here. I mean, Billy Porter's a tough, <laughs> tough, tough person. You know what I'm saying? Billy, Billy Porter doesn't really is hard to fit in a lot of things. You kind of got to write to Billy Porter. You don't go, yeah. oh, Billy Porter would be good in this part. It, it, that just doesn't happen. You're like, let's yeah. write something for Billy Porter. So that's is, a little is, weird. Is that for a flamboyant gay man? Because <laughs> if it's it, not, it, it, it would be wrong it, for Billy it, Porter. It's very alien. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Topher Grace, nice to see him kind of show up. Gretchen Maul, you know. So I mean, there are there are people here, uh, but it's not like it's not the same as as the old ones, you know. It's you know what? I was thinking about that about that uh, middle eighties, early eighties Twilight Zone. If you watch that that middle eighties, early eighties Twilight Zone today, you will find that you see all kinds of just noted now noted actors, right? They're all yeah. young, young, and younger, but they are noted. But you know what? They weren't then noted. Uh, they were just actors in this episode of the Twilight Zone, and I and I, and I, and, I, and I, I didn't know. Know him from a hole in the wall, David Strathairn. Whoever, yeah. here Jordan, and, and and it's not him. It's 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 the way of production today. Everybody is in in the episode is is either a movie star or a former movie star or a TV star, as opposed to you know uh, when when I was watching just some episode of Twilight Zone at any given moment, I didn't know I was yeah. watching William Shatner. He hadn't he hadn't played Captain Kirk yet. He was just True. a guy in an episode of a Twilight Zone. Making me believe that there was a dude on the on the wing of the plane. Last thing I want to mention: uh, the Expanse season four. I uh, I have been slaving my way through the Expanse. Finally got through season four. Um, uh, you and I have talked about this. I I I really wrestle with this show. It's not realistic enough for me. It just uh, you know Earth and Mars at war in the near future and all this soap opera drama going on with the you know the mining around the asteroid belt and it, it's you know. It's basically like an interstellar soap opera, but localized in as, as if, you know, expansion in the future in the Earth's solar system creates all of these interplanetary rivalries now. And the Earth has a president. It's all one nation on the Earth. And it just it feels very cartoony and like they really missed an opportunity. I know Steve Bezos loves this show. That's why, you know, it was resurrected on Amazon and, and given a much higher budget, originally a Canadian production. But. I and I love Shori Agdashlu. I've been on a film festival jury with Shori Agdashlu. She's a wonderful lady. She's great in this. But you know, damn it all, I just I can't feel like they keep missing an opportunity on this show. 
Yeah, just some some interesting ideas. Some interesting ideas about where the technology will be at whatever whatever point they are out in the future. Uh, and, you, and you talk about David Strather too, who's who yeah. is terrific. I will say that he's great on yeah, this. But you're doing that sort of Cajun thought sort of thing, and these sort of and, and, and a lot of interesting ideas there. At the end of the day, though, the thought of politics, the sort of soap opera politics of of, of it all, um, get away. Of uh, I'd rather I'd rather just see that technology. Uh, and um, it it feels to me like a cop out to get rid of all of the political divisions on Earth and mash it all together just so that you can now have a political war between Earth and Mars with the asteroid belt caught in the middle. Yeah, it feels like, well, I'd rather you keep all of the divisions on Earth and extend that out. And so that we have a much more a, a richer tapestry. It's like you've you sort of tap the one out so that you can migrate it into a into a science fiction environment and I, it just it, it oversimplifies it the way that I, I felt was a bit of a cheat but whatever there it is yeah there it is there it is all right tim uh be well yeah. hopefully we uh hopefully we can do this again in in person uh, within you know not too many weeks but um you know let's let's uh let's hope that it, it all kind of starts to wrap out soon um uh, look this whole this whole damn thing uh you know you, you, you know, all kinds of things can go wacky one way or the other. But, but all things being equal, I figure this is going to end up having cost us all about a year and a half of ordinary existence. You know, from last whatever it was, March, January, whenever you want to start. Um, uh, and uh, so that would that would take us up into you know July ish, August ish. You know, yeah, uh, about a year and a half. And uh, right now, thus, I think would be a good moment to start thinking about, you know, uh, what will I have gained uh, from this year and a half? And, and, uh, and if you haven't gained anything yet, start figuring out something to gain. Um, not wait. Not wait. Don't gain any weight. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, you know, if you've, if you've had to take a, if you've had to tap the brakes for, for a year and a half or six months or whatever, uh, you, you got to get something out of it, you know, more than just a depression. So uh, that's yeah. what I'm doing. I'm working on getting something out of it. And, uh, you know, everybody just take, a, take a beat and figure out a way to do that. Super wise words. All right, everybody. We'll see you in a, in a couple of weeks. Thank you.